listening to Creating Real Marriages That Last with Dr. Mike Lynn. Dr. Mike Lynn is a senior and teaching pastor of Brentwood Baptist Church. I'm your co-host, Daryl Girardier. In today's episode, we'll be listening in on a sermon that Mike recently preached entitled, Returning the Mystery to Marriage. One of the reasons that I get frustrated with the studies of Paul is that people who write about Paul aren't pastors. They're theologians. They don't have to make the gospel work. Okay, there's a a different technique when you're sitting around talking about how it is in a perfect scenario, but I never deal in perfect scenarios. Uh, And so there's a certain knack you learn in in the everyday uh, life of a local congregation and how you apply the gospel and how you make it work given the circumstances that you find yourself in. Paul is brilliant at this. And most of the time when he writes, he's writing to answer a particular question, a specific uh, call. What do we do about this? Or how do we address this issue? That's why the book of Ephesians is so so, uh, celebrated in the church. Because it's one of the ways that Paul says, okay, we're a believer. Let's remember what we believe. Chapters 1, 2, and 3. Chapter 4 hinges on now live a life worthy of the calling. 4, 5, and 6 talk about what it means to live a life worthy worthy of that calling. And he talks about Christian marriage. It's the famous passage in chapter five that has been totally brutalized uh, in in our culture about what it means and what it doesn't mean. Uh, It it hinges on verse 21 that says, submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because I have a, a, a relationship with Jesus Christ, the first way that that relationship is seen is in my love for Jeannie, my wife. Because she has a relationship with Jesus Christ, the first way that is seen is in her love for her husband, me. Okay? That's that's where it hinges off, and the rest of that comes out of that. Now, at the end of that, he quotes a passage of Scripture, and that's what I want to focus on this morning. Uh, Stand with me in honor of God's Word as we read verses 31 and 32 of chapter 5. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. And this mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and his church. This mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and his church. This is God's word for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let's pray together. God, we pray for our nation. We pray that you will give us enough Christians to be a salt to change the flavor of our country, that you will give us enough Christian homes to restore the foundation of our country. We pray this in your name. Amen. I grew up in a small family business. My father ran Raymar TV and Appliance, and that was where our family lived. Uh, we sold televisions and appliances. I was the pickup and delivery guy. If you bought a television, a refrigerator, washer, dryer from us, I was the one who brought it to your home and set it up. I learned a lot working in a small family business. I learned about cash flow. I learned about dealing with the public. Uh, I, I learned a lot that's helped me in pastoring a church. Uh, my dad was a politician. 
member of the city council for several years. And I watched my dad get things done and how he worked with people and how he'd give a little bit and take a little bit and how he's always working to get the deal done. I learned a lot from him watching that. I grew up with the world's strongest woman, my mother, who was over here to my right. I was the only kid who could not beat his mother in basketball on the street, and that is a true story. Um, so I, I, she trained me well for pastoring a Baptist church. So growing up in my home was the best seminary that I had, and the best training I got for leading a congregation. So I say that to tell you that I got pretty good at it. But the times that I got in the most trouble, the times where I got into a controversy that I didn't think I'd be able to get out of, was when I dare confront the wedding planning complex industry of our nation. When I had the audacity, the gall, to tell some parents, I don't think your children are ready to get married. What? What, I was told? We've already rented the hall. We've already hired the band. We've already rented the limos. We've already played for the, for the honeymoon. We've bought the dress. Do you know how much bridal dresses cost? We have got all of our bridegrooms and, and maids of honor lined up. They all have their dresses do you know how much money we have already spent, Mike? We have spent thousands of dollars on this particular Saturday. If I spend that much money, somebody's going to get married. <laughs> because we know how it goes, don't we? Guy meets girl. They're somewhere and someone introduced them and... <gasps> They get all jittery inside. This must be it. This great emotional rush that makes you lose your mind. Music plays in the background. Flowers fall from the sky. This must be what it means to be in love. And they're such a cute couple. He's cute. She's cute. They're just cute. They'll have such a cute wedding. Let me tell you what question won't be asked. Where were you when the Lord Jesus gave you permission to take this relationship to the next level? Where were you when the Lord affirmed to you that this was the person he had chosen to be your life mate? What is it in the other person that you find that's going to challenge you and make you become more like Christ? What's the vision for your home that you will be a Christ-centered home committed to raising Christ-centered children? That question won't be asked. Not until I ask it. And then it's two weeks before the wedding, and that horse has left the barn. That's not even for this question. So listen, when we talk about the issue of marriage, let's confess, let's own up to that we, the church of Jesus Christ, 
have surrendered the biblical understanding of marriage to a romanticized fantasy that is perpetuated by our culture. Now, if you want to talk about biblical marriage in our culture, hear me. The first place that biblical marriage has to be restored is in the church. We don't do cute. And the times that I'll get in more trouble with you and you'll be madder at me was when I tell you your daughter's not ready, your son's not ready. This guy doesn't have a clue what it is to be a husband. And that's when you'll get mad at me. You may even leave the church. But that's where I've come to. I've come to realize that part of this is my fault. Part of this is our fault because we surrendered the biblical understanding of marriage to the romanticized fantasy of our culture. We watch shows like The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. Who will make it? Who won't? Who will get the rose? Are you kidding me? (laughs) Look at what Paul does. Did you see it? What verse does he quote? It should be a little number in your margin there. You may come down and point it out to you. What verse does he quote? Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Why is that significant? Because it's the same verse Jesus quotes in Matthew chapter 19. Jesus is challenged about divorce. Whether or not it is lawful to divorce. He quotes to them Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Why is that the verse they go to? Here's why that's important. Most of us go to our understanding of marriage from chapter 3 of Genesis. What's happened in chapter 3? The fall. Eve eats the apple. And guys, we have blamed women since that, haven't we? She hadn't eaten that apple. Well, had it been Eve and Mike, the story would have gone like this. And the serpent talked to Eve, and Mike picked up a stick and beat the snake to death. (laughs) Or Mike grabbed Eve, and they ran out of the garden and told God, we're not going back in there, there's a snake. I don't know how. But it would have been a very, very different story. I know we love to slam the women here and blame Eves and all the Eves of the world and all the Eves that have ever lived, but guys, it is not our finest hour when you read the story. We're standing right next to her. I wouldn't push that if I were you. Most of us have gone to that passage in chapter 3 where this is the symbol of the fall, that the husband will rule over the wife and da-da-da-da-da-da, but Jesus doesn't. Paul doesn't. They go back to the chapter that celebrates the goodness of creation. And the climax of the creation story, the final dot that makes this story wonderful is the story of Adam and Eve coming together, husband, wife, man, and woman, 
to take care of the garden. That was their mutual job, to take care of the garden. Adam was the steward. He gets that in chapter 15, verse 15 of chapter 2. Eve is to be his helper in doing that. But they have the same task. They have the same goal. Although it is significant to me that God would not give his own daughter away until Adam had a job. Let that be a lesson to you, young ladies, when he leans over and says those three little words, you lean back and say three more. Get a job. <laughs> so our understanding of marriage is understood in the goodness of creation. There is something about a godly man and a godly woman in a godly home that makes known the very presence of of Christ himself. I tell you a great mystery, Paul says, but I'm talking about Christ and his church in relationship to your home. So this is where it starts. It starts with a man who has committed his life to follow Jesus Christ. And every day he is serious about that relationship. It is the relationship that defines him. As he follows Christ, Christ leads him to understand, I have called this person to walk with you on your journey. I have given her particular gifts. I've given her particular experiences that will encourage you and enhance your work. That will come to you in a, seri- in a, in a, in a, a time of serious prayer of seeking the Lord's will. It starts with a godly woman who has given her life fully to Christ, who is complete in Christ. She doesn't need him, right? You have, oh, we need each other. That's neurotic, people. That's sick. Huh, Jeannie does not need me. You know her. She'll do fine without me. All right, it, amazingly well. She doesn't need me. I know that. She wants me. It's a lot more fun being wanted than needed. Okay, but she's completing herself. She knows who she is in Christ. She is following Christ. And she's been gifted and wired to be a significant partner in my life in ministry. And God confirmed to her as he did to me, this is the person I've been preparing for you. And we took it to the next level. The purpose of the coming together is the raising of godly children. The two will become one flesh. That literally happens in children. That's, there's something about a godly man pouring into his son, pouring into his daughter, that a godly woman can't give. Okay? And one of the reasons we have such an epidemic of crime among young men is that we have absent fathers. And one of the roles of the church is to stand around, is to turn back around, find those young men, and get in their lives to give them the male influence and the Christian father that they don't have. And there is something about a Christian woman pouring into the lives of her sons that the father can't do. When Craig was little, he loved that Jeannie was a nurse. And when he was sick, nobody but Jeannie could touch him. He wouldn't take a Tylenol from me. He marries a nurse. Chris loved that Jeannie was a girl. 
And everything he bought for her was frilly. Girly girl. He married Deb, who was every bit a girly girl. We're sitting at dinner one time, all six of us at the table, and I look at Jeannie and I say, you do know the boys married the part of you that they love best. There's something about that Christian home where a Christian man loves a Christian woman that makes known the very presence of Christ himself. That when you go into that house, there's a difference there's a depth, there's a mystery, there's something to it that you can't quite figure it out. You can't put your finger on, but you know, I just love who I am when I'm in this house. That's the mystery of the presence of Christ. It happens in a godly home. And, and maybe your home was like our home. My mom was always mad because our grass never would grow. There was a big mud hole in the middle of the yard. That was a pitcher's mound. Well... The bush at the corner of the flower bed, it would never grow. It would never blossom. It was second base. Well, and when you slide into it, sometimes you break limbs, and that's what happens to second base. There were always bicycles in our driveway. There were always kids on our front porch. Because a kid can find love faster than anybody. That's why the table is such an important thing in the Christian faith, this hospitality of welcoming people into your life. This is where it starts. Now, you may be a good dude. You may be better than most. But you can't be a godly husband if you're empty of God. You can't be a godly woman if you're empty of God. And your home can't be a godly home if only one oar is in the water. If you have one oar in the water, all you do is go in circles. I don't care how hard you row. You just go in faster circles. Both oars have to be in, in the water. Both of you have to be pulling equally for your little boat to get down the river. And that's the way God intended it. It's the way he ended the brilliance of the creation story was with a godly home. Adam and Eve. And that is the heritage that's passed down to us, the goodness of marriage. Now, I know that puts me against the cultural flow. Jesus told me this day would come. I know it'll put me on the outside of whatever's going on. That's fine. But I won't compromise on this one. We don't do cute weddings here. We do weddings that are committed to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Lord, boss, he owns it. It's his wedding. It's his marriage. It's his house. It's his husband. It's his wife. They are his children. His. Lord, he's boss. He paid for it. And he's the only one who gets to say. Now, 
First of all, let's begin by confessing that we have abdicated the ideal of a Christian marriage, and we're going to redouble ourselves to that vision. Second, if you're a husband here, this is a time for you to understand who you are called to be. If you're a Christian wife, you need to understand and focus your life on who you're called to be so that we can establish Christian homes in every neighborhood in Middle Tennessee, little sanctuaries where people can come and sit around the table. And, uh, Acts 16, Paul is founding the Corinthian church, and a young preacher by the name of Apollos comes. He's a very gifted man, but he doesn't quite understand the whole story. And in there, we're told that Priscilla and Aquila, a husband and wife, take Apollos into their home and teach him a more adequate understanding of the gospel. The very first seminary mentioned in the scriptures is a home. A mother and a father, a husband and a wife, teaching a young man the fullness of the gospel. House by house, street by street, neighborhood by neighborhood, city by city, town by town, so this mystery goes. But understand, if you come talk to one of our ministers, we're going to ask you some really hard questions. We don't care that you're cute. Abraham sends his servant to find a wife for Isaac. He goes and asks God for this sign. Send me a woman who will not only give me water when I ask, but will water my camels. Can you imagine how much water it took to fill up a camel? But Rebecca does it. It's interesting. This man who was looking for a wife to carry the great covenant of God with Isaac, his first thing he looked for was kindness. Is that on your list? Oh, it is, but it's like 29th. See the difference? That's what happens in a godly home. That's what we're committed to. You are owned by Jesus Christ. You're paid for. And that relationship is owned by him to make known the mystery of his presence to the people who come in contact with your home. For this reason, a man will leave his, his wife, his mother and, and father, cleave to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, Paul says. But I'm talking about Christ and his church. Let's pray together. Thanks for listening in on the conversation. If you want to find out more about Dr. Mike Lynn, you can go to MikeLynnOnline.com or you can follow him on Twitter at Mike Glenn. You can also download a free copy of 170 Ways to Love Your Spouse on his website, MikeLynnOnline.com.